We come this evening to the beginning of the narrative in the book of Judges concerning Samson. Now, Samson, of course, looms large in our imaginations of Old Testament history, uh, and he gets a relatively large amount of press in the book of Judges. He gets four chapters out of a total of 21, nearly one-fifth of the book. And yet, who is this man? He commanded no army, at least so far as we're told. His actions did not completely and finally liberate the nation of Israel from the Philistines as the actions of Ehud liberated the nations from the Moabites or the actions of Barak and Deborah liberated the Israelites from the Canaanites or as Gideon did in regard to the Midianites or as Jephthah did in regard to the sons of Ammon. The close of the period of the book of Judges leaves Israel under the heel of the Philistines. And you see this menacing presence of the Philistines in Israel, even when you get to the early history of the book of 1 Samuel. Just think of the the days of Eli and the days of his sons and the early ministry of Samuel. Now, Lord willing, we'll get to Samson's life in later weeks as we look at chapters 14, 15, and 16. But tonight, we'll, we'll not see so much of Samson himself, but rather the Lord's purpose in sending him and what he was to be. So let's look at the text of Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Our historian writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, 
Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. Then the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord has desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now, first, let's, let's walk through the text here to get a firm grasp on what's going on here in this chapter. And then let's try to come around at the end and draw out some greater lessons from what we see. Now, here in verse 1, we find what we have gotten used to already. Verse 1 sets the scene for the chapter by telling us that the Israelites did evil again in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we've seen this before. We knew it was coming. There are no surprises here. The result of their wickedness is Philistine oppression for 40 years. This is the last and the longest period of oppression in the book of Judges. If you look back to the other periods Uh, during which foreign nations were oppressing the Israelites. There's no period so long as this. And yet, without being told of any crying out on the part of the Israelites, much less any repentance on the part of the Israelites. Maybe there was some crying out, maybe there was some repenting, but we don't see it here in the text. And yet, God in His grace sets the wheels in motion to begin the work of deliverance for His people. And so it is that we read of this angel of the Lord appearing to the wife of Manoah. We don't even know this woman's name. But this barren woman was chosen by God to be the mother of the deliverer. This is just like the way God often works. How many women in the Old Testament, and we can think of uh, Elizabeth in the New Testament, they were these barren women, and yet God gave them children. Think of 
can think of Sarah giving birth to Isaac. We can think of uh, Rebecca giving birth to, uh, to Jacob and Esau. We can think of Rachel giving birth to Joseph. We can think later on of Hannah giving birth to Samuel. And then again in the New Testament, Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist. This is often the way the Lord works, is using these, these women who feel that their purpose is perhaps non-existent, but nevertheless, the Lord uses them in this special way. And so the angel appears to the wife of Manoah, tells her that she will give birth to a son, and gives her some very specific, what we would call prenatal instructions, right? Verse 4, she herself is to drink no wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. And at his second appearance to both husband and wife, the explicit instructions in verse 14 are even more specific. She's not to eat anything from the vine, and this, this would include fresh grapes, raisins, and so on. And as to Samson himself, no razor is ever to be used on his head. And the reason, of course, is that Samson was to be a Nazarite from his birth. The word Nazarite means one who is consecrated or one who is devoted. Thus, a Nazarite was a person who was set apart to God or devoted to him in a special way for a special purpose. And according to uh, what the woman related to her husband there in verse 7, this Nazarite uh, purpose for Samson was to extend from his birth all the way until his death. He was to be set apart as a Nazarite to the Lord for the whole course of his life. And the instructions that are here given concerning uh, Samson being a Nazarite are in line with the law that we find for the Nazarites in Numbers chapter 6. And this is uh, the part of number 6 that would be especially pertinent for us, would be verses 1 through 8. So why don't we look there real quick to number 6, 1 through 8, about this, uh, this law of the Nazarites. And so, Numbers chapter 6, this is what we find. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow... The vow of a Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord. He shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced from the grapevine, from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks on uh, the locks of hair on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near to a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother for his brother or for his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And so we we get the sense there from what we see in number six, that in many cases, this Nazarite vow would be be kind of a temporary thing, that someone would would set themselves apart to the Lord for a specific season in their lives. And so we read this language about the, the period of their separation, something to that effect. But for Samson, this was to be a lifelong separation, a lifelong consecration to the Lord. He was to be holy to the Lord from birth until death. And this setting apart even began for him in the womb. 
so that his mother is commanded to abstain from those things which would render a Nazarite unclean. Now, after the appearance of this angel to Samson's mother, Manoah's wife, she goes and tells her husband. She tells him about this visit of this man of God who, whose appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God, she said, very awesome. And then Manoah wanted to see this man of God himself and to hear what he was supposed to do for the boy. And having that desire, he prayed. And according to verse 9, God listened to the voice of Manoah. And if we may make a very little brief excursus here, let's notice this great blessing that God heard his prayer. God is God who hears the prayers of his people. Two things to be said about this. One is that we should pray. And second is that we should not take it for granted when God hears. And so we find in the Psalms that often the psalmist will, will plead with the Lord to hear. And so, for example, Psalm 28, 1 and 2, David says, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands to your holy sanctuary. David wanted God to hear, to hear in the sense of taking action in regard to supplications that are made in prayer. And then in Psalm 65, too, he says to the Lord, O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Our God is the God who hears prayer, which is to say that he listens and takes action on behalf of his people who come to him and ask. As our Lord Jesus reminds us, our Father is a Father who gives good gifts to those who ask. And so in light of that, let's ask, let's seek, let's knock. For he who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door is open. And such it was for Manoah. He knocked, and the door was open. And so the man of God appears again to Manoah's wife. She goes to get her husband, and they both receive instructions for what they were to do for this child who was to be born. And it is noteworthy where this angel responds there in verse 13, and he says, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. Obviously, in context, this has to do with the specific instructions which were given for the prenatal and postnatal care in regard to Samson. But we would do well to apply the words of this angel, who actually, as it turns out, is God himself. We do well to apply his words to be decisive in our thinking. Right? We live often, seems like every day anymore, in confusing times, trying times when great wickedness abounds. We wonder what we should do, how we should raise our kids, how we should interact with other people. First and foremost, we need to pay attention to what the Lord has said. He's told us what we need to know in his word. And so then let women and men, all of us, pay attention to what the Lord has said. And then as the chapter continues to unfold, we find Manoah wanting to prepare this young goat for the, the man of God. And as of yet, Manoah, it seems, does not know for sure if this man is a prophet. Is he an angel? He doesn't know his identity. And they have this exchange where the angel declines to eat but encourages him to offer a burnt offering to the Lord. 
And this is when the clues start coming that this is not a man of God in the sense of a human prophet, and this is not even one of the holy angels. This visitor will not give his name, claiming that it is wonderful. And this word, wonderful, is also used in Psalm 139, verse 6, where in context the psalmist says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before you have laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So in the context of of Psalm 136, the the statement that this knowledge is is too wonderful for me, it's it's wonderful in the sense that it's, it's incomprehensible. It is beyond our grasp. We can't take it in. And then, so the the angel says this about his name, and then to top it all off, this visitor performs a great wonder by ascending to heaven in the flame of the sacrifice in the full view of Manoah and his wife. And again, as we've seen in Judges more than once now, this angel is actually none other than the Lord himself, seemingly the pre-incarnate Son of God. Because we find there... In the text, verse 22, Manoah says, We will surely die, for we have seen God. They they recognize that this is not even simply a holy angel. Rather, this is a manifestation of God himself. And Manoah, understandably, is scared to death. He believes that they were going to die because they had seen the Lord. And though in this particular he was mistaken, he had some orthodox instincts functioning there. The Lord had said to Moses in Exodus 33:20 that no man could see him and live. I think we have to understand Exodus 33:20 then uh, to be taken in reference to the incompatibility of seeing God as he actually is in his nature as opposed to how he sometimes would appear to man, appearing as a man or appearing as an angel in what we call a theophany, an appearance of God. Manoah in his fear, is corrected by his wife. As she points out to him something that is very reasonable and logical, uh, if you stop and think about it, she pointed out to him that it wouldn't, wouldn't make any sense for God to kill them after he had just revealed that they were going to have a son who was going to deliver the Israelites. Sometimes women do have better spiritual insight than men. As Matthew Henry put it, the weaker vessel was the stronger believer. Certainly, that was the case here. Not always, but certainly it was here. And as the chapter closes, of course, we find Manoah's wife giving birth, and that the boy grew up, and that the Spirit of God was stirring within him. Such is the account of the birth of Samson. Now, what are some, what are some lessons that we can glean from this passage? Well, one, we see here the kindness of God. God shows himself, once again, gracious, to a stubborn and hard-hearted people. They fell into sin yet again, and God began raising up someone who would deliver them from the Philistines. This is a good and gracious God who would do something like this. He was good and gracious to them. He remains the same and is good and gracious to us as well. Secondly, even though this chapter doesn't tell us much about what Samson did, we get a little bit of a glimpse there at the end of the chapter, but it does tell us much about what he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be a Nazarite, separated, consecrated, holy to the Lord from his birth until his death. 
the law of the Nazarites legislated the outward and physical forms which were to be the signs of their devotion to the Lord, to be the signs of their consecration to the Lord. Being called by God to be a Nazarite, Samson, in a way, was supposed to be a picture of what Israel was supposed to be. Samson was supposed to be set apart to the Lord. The nation as a whole was to be set apart to the Lord by their holiness. This separation unto the Lord was to be the means by which great strength was to be had and great victories were to be gained. This was true for Samson. In his separation to the Lord, he had great strength. He had great victory over his enemies. Likewise for Israel. Set apart to the Lord in holiness, Israel's experience would have been that which is described in Leviticus 26, 7 and 8. But you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will fall uh, before you by the sword. And indeed Joshua declared, Joshua 23:10, One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he promised you. The consecration which was supposed to characterize Samson was also supposed to characterize Israel. But if you know the rest of the story about Samson, and if you are familiar with the history of Israel, you will know that it didn't turn out that way. As for Samson, one writer summed up the deeds of Samson uh, by saying this, his actions themselves... Moreover, have the outward aspect of self-willed, foolhardy, and venturesome feats of mere strength, and these in connection with discreditable alliances with heathen women. How's that for a summation of the exploits of Samson? And when Samson betrayed the outward mark of his consecration to the Lord, he lost his strength and fell into captivity. And as for the nation of Israel, this book of Judges gives us a picture of their continual fall into wickedness and how they turned their back on the Lord and how he gave them over to their enemies. And because of such conduct, the words of Deuteronomy 32, 28-30 were applicable to the nation. For they are a nation lacking in counsel, and there is no understanding in them. Would that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would discern their future, how could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? As it was supposed to be, under the best of circumstances, five were to chase a hundred and a hundred were to chase ten thousand. That means Israelites versus their enemies. Small number of Israelites, big number of enemies. Deuteronomy 32 describes the curse. And the curse is that one of their enemies would chase a thousand Israelites. Two of them would put 10,000 to flight. Despite what Samson and the nation were supposed to be, Samson became, in practice, an example of what Israel had practically become. But God was still merciful, both to Samson and to Israel. And we must add that Samson's typology extends not just to Israel. Samson is also a type of the Savior who was to come. And it's interesting that chapter 13 here spends so much time on the, the lead-up to the birth of Samson. And 
Thus, we find in the New Testament that there is a great buildup to the birth of Christ. You just think of the early chapters of Luke, Luke chapter 1, how the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced to her beforehand the birth of Christ. Think back to, to Matthew chapter 1, how Joseph was, uh, was, after he found out about the pregnancy, was desiring to put Mary away quietly. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, urged him not to do this because what was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit. So we have this, this pre-announcement of the birth, both of Samson and of Christ. Both Samson and Christ were born into the world at the right time in God's good plan, and both fulfilled the plan for which God the Father had sent them into the world. We are told there in the text that uh, this is uh, verse 5, that he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And he did that. He did begin the deliverance of the Israelites from the Philistines. He didn't complete it, but that was not the purpose for which the Lord sent him. Samson did that despite his shortcomings. And both Samson and Christ won a great victory by means of their deaths. Christ died without sin and without shortcomings. Samson died having been a great sinner. But nevertheless, they both won a great victory for the people of God by their death. And Christ not only begins the work of our deliverance, but he completes it as well. And thus it is that Hebrews chapter 12 calls Christ the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so as we remember Samson tonight, and as we anticipate his flaws and his sins that we'll see in later chapters, let's not forget that he still served God's purposes through it all. We find him listed as we read at the beginning of our time tonight in Hebrews 11, in the Hall of Faith. He is one of the men who trusted in God despite his sins. And so let's allow Samson, imperfect though he was, to point us to Christ the true deliverer from a much worse oppression than that of the Philistines. Samson killed men, but Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and rendered Satan powerless. Samson began to bring about an earthly deliverance, but Christ is the one who brings life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's the one who has completed his work. And so let's give glory and praise and honor to Christ with all that we are and also Seek to serve him as his holy people, set apart to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for the shadow that we see here in Samson that points us ahead to Christ. Lord, we thank you for working deliverance for your people in the Old Testament in these various ways. And we thank you that in Christ we see the perfection of all that was foreshadowed here. Lord, we thank you that Christ has completed his work, that Christ has defeated Satan, has disarmed the rulers and authorities by his death, and has triumphed over them by a resurrection. We thank you that even though Samson still lies in the grave awaiting the resurrection, Christ is risen from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection to come. Lord, we ask that you would help us to glory in Christ and to love him for all that he has accomplished for us. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.